hi and welcome back to the turning 30 podcast a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30 i'm your host life coach emma wilson and i'm here to help you feel better get unstuck and be more confident in your 30s now we've made it to 55 episodes without talking about a topic that is so big and so important and whether we like it or not is such a huge part of our everyday lives and that is money and that's why I decided to invite today's guest to talk about a topic that sometimes isn't that comfortable to talk about and I can hold my hands up here and say that I was a little bit nervous before I recorded the episode because I thought oh money is something that I don't like talking about even in private never mind in public in front of hundreds of you who are listening but never want to shy away from a challenge I thought there must be something in this that I feel uncomfortable so I'm going to speak it out loud with my guest and that's exactly what happened and the funny thing is is we literally couldn't finish this episode we were like topic after topic after topic it ended up being such an amazing girl talk I love these episodes where I invite a guest on and we just click and it literally feels like we were sitting down for dinner or for a cup of coffee and then we just press record and let you all in on our conversation and it's funny because I went from being nervous to speak about this topic to being like we must have a part two of this so I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it And let me introduce this week's guest. This week's guest is Ellie Austin Williams. Bored of the same old financial content written by middle-aged men, Ellie set up This Girl Talks Money to tackle the money taboo and help women gain ownership of their finances. Alongside building the TGTM community, Ellie has appeared as an expert panelist for brands including Glamour and Monzo, as well as providing insight and comment for Refinery29, Stylist, BBC News and more. She is also the co-host of the podcast Money Unfiltered. Let's dive in and talk all about money. Hi Ellie and welcome to the Turning 30 podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here and as I was just saying before we pressed record, also a little nervous. I want to be open and honest with the audience and with you that I've avoided inviting somebody on the podcast to talk about money and I've been avoiding it because I'm someone who I would say is not necessarily very good with money quote unquote, doing, doing things in my fingers. Um, so yeah, it's like a, it's a confronting topic. And I, I guess I wanted to start off by asking you before we even dive in, why do you think so many people avoid, avoid talking about money or feel uncomfortable talking about it? Yeah. I mean, first of all, great question, but also like, you're not alone on that. I think that a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, okay, yeah, I've also probably been avoiding this conversation, this topic with people um because it's not a topic that we are comfortable with typically you know you'll always get the odd few people who are like yeah like I love talking about money I've been you know I've always spoken openly about it but that's very rare I think there are a few different layers to it like I think there's a big cultural aspect so you know I have born and raised been born and raised in the UK where talking about money is particularly seen as being I guess a taboo it's kind of seen as being crass a uh, bit rude like not the done thing and I think that's the case in other 
countries as well to varying different degrees. I also think that it is something that we don't know how to talk about. So it's it kind of ties into the fact that we don't talk about it and that we see it as like off limits. When we do raise it or someone does bring up the topic, everyone gets really awkward and uncomfortable and it kind of then just reinforces your idea that you shouldn't talk about it because everyone's like, oh my God, like let's not talk about money. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy situation. <laughs> Yeah, it wow, it's so, so true. And it's really interesting, actually, that you mentioned about the cultural part, because I was born and grew up uh, until I was in my late 20s in the UK. And now I live in Tel Aviv in Israel, and money is much more openly spoken about. And it really shocked me when I moved here, because you meet someone and they literally ask you on the second question how much you earn or how much you pay for your apartment. And I remember being like, oh my God, what a question. You know, it's almost like how back in the day, it was very, very taboo to ask who you were voting for in elections. I don't know if it's still like that in the UK. It's the same thing. There's just this connotation that it's nosy. Yeah. Like you said, it's crass to ask. And I've had to really get used to being like, Oh, sorry. It's a, I'm allowed to tell you how much my rent is. Cause I wouldn't, I don't know what any of my friends in the UK earn, but I know all of my friends in Tel Aviv earn. So it's funny just how much where you're from. And also I guess, where you've been brought up in terms of your family as well, like how your family stories of money play through to to how you treat money and how you speak about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it there, but like how you have grown up around conversations to do with money really does play into it. It has a huge impact on your own perception of whether you can talk about it, whether you can't, how you behave with money is hugely impacted by what you have learned and experienced growing up from not just your parents but like all sorts of caregivers like what you've seen on tv what you've heard the magazines you read it's very similar i mean i'll probably touch on this more but you know there's a lot of overlap in terms of our relationships with food and diet when it comes to money like there's a huge synergy in terms of like the issues that I guess society has maybe caused around how we interact with like money and how we interact with food as well. Oh, wow. I cannot wait to hear more about that. I think in my head, I'm already like, yes, it's the mindset stuff about abundance and, and not having enough and things like this. So I, I know that we've got a lot to talk about, but let's kind of go back. And I want to ask how you got into being a thought leader for this. You know, obviously you run this amazing platform and you've created a community around it. So I'd love to know what led you to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're coming up to, I guess, three years, which is mad because it feels like a lot longer. It yeah it feels like a lot longer than that really but effectively like it started out when I like I moved to London as a grad with a job in the city corporate life started earning money and I guess I just didn't really think about money much until that point I chose the career I went into which was law because I wanted to earn good money but other than that didn't really think about it that much didn't really manage it at uni you know I got a student loan, I'd spend it, I'd ring up my mum and be like, oh, I've run out of money for food, can I have a bit more money? And that's kind of as far as it went. But when I started earning money, I started thinking like, oh my gosh, like every month I'm getting more money than I've ever had. And no one's actually told me what to do with it. So do I just spend it all? Do I save some of it? Like who's going to tell me how to do this? And I started looking around, started doing a bit of research and like, 
I just couldn't find anything that was relevant really everything was either one extreme or the other it was either yeah live your best life spend all your money fine or don't spend any money at all stay indoors like don't look at pret like don't ever think about buying a lunch like you need to you know be super frugal and i was like i don't i'm not either of these extremes you know i have ambitions in terms of i guess material ones i want to have a home i want to go on nice holidays how am i going to fund that if i spend all my money but also like i'm 20 something i i'm working hard i want to enjoy things i want to go out and go shopping and how do i do both at the same time and there was nothing out there that i could see and i had this idea in my head for a while and eventually i kind of was like digging a bit more and i came across a few creators i guess in the us who were talking about money and i was like oh my gosh this is great like this is what i need but unlike most other areas of content then money is one which is in a lot of ways very specific to your location like the system like the way that tax works the way that like i mean the currency things like that are different and so i thought okay like people are doing this there so there's obviously a demand for it but i can't find anyone here doing it so I guess maybe I should do it. And after a couple of months of thinking about it and procrastinating on it, which is what I do, I was like, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Let's just start. And that was where it started. So it literally was just this idea. I had no idea what it was going to end up looking like, but it was just what I was looking for. I was like, I'm going to create it. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> I love that story so, so much. And I also like had a big smile on my face when you just said that you we're a lawyer because obviously you know that. I think we've spoken about it before when we realized we did a live together months ago and then afterwards yeah. we both realized that we were a lawyer during it we realized that we both used to be lawyers so we were like oh that's crazy similar story so yeah I love that story how you basically like found something that you're passionate about and ended up creating something uh, can you just explain a little bit more about what it is you know for yeah. anyone listening who, who hasn't come across you before yeah, absolutely. It's a platform. Um, so, I mean, mostly social media, but also I do have podcasts as well, where it's really about holding space and opening up conversations about money. So I always think of it as like the conversations that I wish someone else had been having that I could kind of get involved in and see what other people think about. So a lot of it is about like how many impact our day-to-day -day life, like our society. I spend a lot of time talking about like, I guess, what's going on now. So stuff that's in the news about money, earning, career, saving, investing. It's not like a super education focused platform. I, I really wanted to have a space which is like conversational, which feels like you're sat around with friends having these conversations about money, which maybe you don't feel like you can have in real life. And I think that's what's so great about it. So many conversations that I've had, people are so open and honest about finances, about like the situations that they're in, about the help that they've had and about, you know, what they're spending and what they're saving. And it gives, I think, my community an insight into the world that like people don't actually admit a lot of the time, like face to face. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important because like we were just saying before, 
if people don't have that safe space to speak about money with those around them. And I know from experience as well, people don't feel safe to speak about it with partners, like literally with romantic partners, with family members, with friends, then you can become that, that person who, who they come to. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the most like impactful conversations that I've had on there, which I always think back to, um, it was a wild couple of days after I kind of hosted this conversation, which is I, I put up some polls about property. And again, like you, you may or may not know, but like in the UK, it is such a big topic is like owning a home. And there are good reasons why, but there is almost an, like an obsession with being able to buy property. And it's really, really tough. And I put up a poll, which was about how many people had had help. And it just like blew up because people were so shocked by how many people got help buying a house or a flat because people don't talk about it. So it's so easy to look around and be like, oh my gosh, all of these people are buying property like at, you know, 20 something or 30 something. How are they doing this? Why am I behind? Why are they further ahead than me? Why am I not achieving all these goals? And it's a lot of the time because they've got help, but people don't admit it. No one's saying it out loud. I saw those stories actually on your Instagram and I was also like, this is amazing. This is amazing that Ellie is actually being the person to expose, albeit anonymously, you know, all of these people who are actually showing that, yes, although some people who are, you know, get into very high power jobs at a very young age do manage to get on the property ladder alone without help from their families, it's extremely rare within your 20s and early 30s to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the thing. And I'm lucky. I'm so lucky that like my community are like very respectful in the sense that like, you know, that kind of conversation could have turned quite sour and quite like bitter. But, you know, people like, were really, I just think, grateful that they were seeing that they were not alone in being kind of, I guess, in this situation where they looked at other people and were like, how is this going on? And people really, I think, felt a sense of like relief that I guess I had opened their eyes to what was going on. And it's so hard because I understand both sides of the the coin. And I had a lot of people messaging me as well, saying about how guilty they felt about the help that they had. And again, it just kind of reiterates this point that we've got to a situation where if you have money and you have help, you feel guilty about it and you don't talk about it. And if you don't have money, you don't have help, you're struggling. You also feel bad about it and you don't talk about it. So no one's talking about it. Right. And it's like a lose-lose situation because if you have it, you feel shit. And if you don't have it, you feel shit. Totally. Yeah. Like there is literally like no way that you win in this situation. And so I'm very much a believer that like, you know, the more we can start to actually just talk about it, hopefully everyone starts to feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. And that's the importance of community. You know, it's why I run my community as well. It's that there's so many people who are going through something that they feel afraid or like it's a a taboo to speak about it out loud. And then we provide platforms for people. And I think that's why community is so important. And yes, a hundred percent community around money and exposing people's fears or people's worries about money. It's just such important work. And, And actually, I think this leads really nicely into where I wanted the conversation to go is to why when you are turning 30 
why does that become such a trigger to how much money you're earning or saving or investing? And I think this really links to as well, especially in the UK, this obsession with property. So yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yes, absolutely. And this is literally like perfect timing for this conversation because I am turning 30 in like six weeks. Ooh. So it's very front of mind at the moment. Amazing. Good timing. <laughs> um, it is. But I think it is back to expectation 100%. We, I think, grow up with a lot of expectation about where we will be at this point in our lives. And like, as you cover in all sorts of aspects, like 30 for this reason, unknown to anybody, like, is this point where we have expectations about where we should be in life and a lot of that comes back to money so I mean housing is like the obvious one like I would guess that most of us probably listening to this thought that when we were younger by 30 you would have a house that we lived in with our kids and our dogs or whatever and probably our husband or partner and it would all be you know look like it does on the tv um and you realize very rapidly that that is not life and that that is not how it works and money is a huge huge part of it and i mean other than housing the big thing i think for a lot of people that comes into play well there are two actually that i'm thinking of but weddings um and funding (laughs) funding a wedding or that kind of celebration and also a family and as much as you know these are are very much like your traditional I guess markers of like growing up they are hugely hugely impacted by finances so both of them you've obviously got to have like found somebody that you actually want to do those with which is a whole nother issue but even in the situation that you have and that is what you want to do you're then presented with a situation where it's like okay well I need to find like, what is it? I think the average wedding now is like 30, 35 grand. I guess I need to find effectively a year's salary to fund for this occasion that people expect me to have. And I also then need to figure out how I'm going to not work for a year. And I'm going to maybe have to reduce my, my income and co- compromise my career or find childcare if I want to have a child. And well, I'm, turning 30 so like surely I should be doing this by now or I should have done this by now because like I mean for me at least my mum had me at 26 so up until I was about 25 in my head I was having a kid at 26 (laughs) and I think like a lot of my friends are in a similar situation where they really expected like oh well why would I not do it the same way and I got to 26 and I was like oh my god like wow how on earth did that happen how did she keep me alive never mind like now at nearly 30 I'm like I like no all of this stuff like I want to have a nice life now I'm just about at a point where actually financially I'm in a all right position and like do I want to go put a bomb in the middle of that now like so the financial pressure that the expectations that I guess we and others and society place on us especially as you're going into your 30s is huge and it's coming from all directions and I mean on the weddings point again it's not even a case of it being your own even if you're single you've still got the expectation of 
other people that you will attend their weddings um, and their celebrations at God knows what cost. Um, I, I mean, I did some work last week and it's come out like recently from a survey that the average cost of attending a hen is now £242. And that's wow. per person per hen. So if you stick that through most of your friends, which normally are also getting married often in bunches, you know, where's that coming from? So... Oh. <laughs> I could talk about hen party spending for a really long time. I don't know if we should even go down that route after, you know, being on however many hens in my life and not being married myself. It's been a huge expense. But I think it's just, obviously, this is what I've based my whole business on is what you were talking about, about reaching the certain age and having the expectation. But what's really amazing to me to hear you speak about is that how money pervades everything. Yeah. And it really does. And that's why it's so important to have this conversation because in my mind, it's like, yeah, money, but it's career because when people turn 30 and they expect their career to be at a certain level, of course, they care about the title and the and the role and all of those things. But why? Because they want well, to earn, earn. A, nice amount of, a, a nice amount of money, right? Again, I never even thought about maybe it's because my mind doesn't work in a in a wedding focused way but yeah if you're going to meet somebody and and make those next steps around the age of 30 yes you have to fund a wedding and there is this whole thing about comparison of that person's having that wedding and this person's doing this and and all of that you know narrative around that and then yeah obviously kids which is like wow to be able to afford to bring a kid in the world these days and education and childcare and all of those things like wow whole other thing and yeah, like it was just when you were speaking then and saying all those things, I was like, yeah, money just is at the core of so many big life decisions that happen in your 30s. It really is. And I think it's so much more, I guess, front of mind for women as well, because it does inevitably impact women in a different way, I think, to men. I think that, I don't know, something I've noticed recently, but like a lot of the men around me who are 30 are quite happy you know they're embracing it they're loving it like they don't have these anxieties or these kind of worries and I look around at the women and it's just so different and regardless I think of the situation that they are in you know even if they have kind of ticked off all those boxes of what they expected at the point that they're turning 30 they still feel like they're missing something or that they should be further ahead or that they should be doing something else by that point in life regardless of like yeah where they actually are and I totally feel like that as well like I don't really know what it is because you know on paper from the outside I I get that a lot of people are like well what what have you got to be anxious about you think it is the biological clock difference and the fact that women take maternity leave or longer maternity leave than, you know, men obviously now take a short paternity leave as like a standard. Do you think that's maybe what it is as well? Yeah, definitely. I think that has a huge impact. And I think that, you know, we're still in the relatively early days. I always say this and people are like, oh, yeah, I suppose. But of women like being like as career focused as men, mm-hmm. if you look at like the timeline of like women in work, then we are still in the first hundred years of it. It's it's still relatively new by humanity standards. And like the world is still kind of catching up with it. And so we are really the first generation where I guess having a really successful career as a woman is a like realistic option alongside having to figure out how to 
have a family if that's what you want to do. Exactly. And wow, I have so many things coming to mind, but I think it's so hard because we want to all be feminist and be like, no, you can have this career and you can also have kids in your thirties or whatever age that you want, and you can still make it work and it's all going to be fine. And we all want to, you know, we want that to be the case, but the reality of it is that it's just, that's, that's not it. And I'm sure you have statistics about it or something about money and maternity leave and things. I don't know so much about it, but the truth is, is that as women, we are aware that at the point when we decide, okay, we're ready to start procreating now, our careers, whether we like it or not, are going to be impacted. And that's not even talking about, and I actually was coaching a client on this recently. I do have some clients who, who have kids already and, and who have great careers. And the reality is, is that people treat her differently in work when knowing that mm-hmm. she has young children and that she has to go and, you know, if the nanny doesn't show up and or the babysitter falls through, then she has to be the person to go there if her husband can't. And yeah, it's like a really harsh reality that, I think a lot of the time we're trying to be so progressive and liberal and forward thinking that we we forget about the the truth of it is that some things haven't changed and might not change yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, what it results in a lot of the time is just increased pressure that women are putting on themselves to do everything and to be everything and I can definitely definitely see how easy it can be to kind of let looking after you as a human I guess disappear in that in trying to like be as good as you want to be in work and at home and like to your partner and to your friends and like it it's a lot back to kind of the money point if you took away money as a concern I think things would be hugely different I I don't think that it's a case that you know that's the only factor that plays into this but you know again here in the uk the childcare system is shocking like the amount of money that you have to spend if you want to maintain your career as a woman rather than or as a man but it is nearly always the woman but if you want to go back to work and keep building your career whilst having kids someone's got to look after them and unlike a lot of countries here you barely get any help so like if you gave people help, then actually maybe they would be able to go and work more and be more fulfilled because a lot of people, I think, do want that career fulfillment. They don't work just for the money. They work because they enjoy their jobs. But equally, a lot of people have to give up work because the money doesn't make sense. And I think that is what is such a shame is that there are so many people who are so many women who are giving up careers because they want a career, they want to have a family, but the numbers don't add up. Yeah. Wow, it is. It's really sad to actually think about it and think of the reality of the of the situation. I also, you know what I think as well is that we're as millennials, kind of squeezed in between this weird like the generations, like we know that our we're not gonna have kids at the age of you know, your mum was 26, my mum was 22, like, you know, really, really young ages. Like that's kind of been in God. We know that now. Like, you know, some people yeah. do choose that, but in general, people are choosing to have children a little bit later. But I think that now we're almost like getting this weird mixed messaging that I can't remember where I read this or if it's something that I thought of myself. I'm gonna say that I've read it, but I don't remember the reference, but we're almost signaled now to go and live your 20s, go and do what you want, travel loads. You know, it's kind of like take gap years, do stuff. Like, you know, you're only young once. It's kind of the new millennial way of thinking of like, just like, fuck it, live life. Yeah. In your early 20s, let's say. 
And then all of a sudden you suspected to be able to have a mortgage at 28, get a mortgage at 29. Yeah. And it's like almost like there's something happens. Like we're now signaling people to say, okay, it's cool. You do you. You don't need to settle down young. That's what the generation above us did. You can settle down whenever you want, but then click 29 comes around and it's like, sorry, where's your boyfriend? Yeah. Why don't you own a property? And why aren't you a manager and work? And it's like crazy. Yeah, it is. I love that. Like that is so perfectly articulated. Like that is what it feels like. And, you know, I've spent like the last kind of few months being a bit like, oh, I wish maybe I had done a bit more of that, like traveling. And I wish I'd have maybe like gone and lived somewhere else and been a bit like freer. But actually, I, I know that there was also that message that was on one shoulder being like, no because you need to get a job you need to, to like think about the future and stuff and you just can't win in some respects i feel like we as a generation yeah are in this real in between like i didn't do that i didn't go and live abroad but i did a year in uni but i didn't go and like you know try working somewhere else any of that but the consequence is that yeah like i now have got a bit more money and got some more assets like behind me but do I think it was a worthwhile trade-off? I don't know, really. Like, now it feels all right, but I do have that sadness a little bit. Like, oh, maybe I should have spent more money on those experiences. But had I done that, like, I speak to people all the time who, yeah, have done the opposite. And everyone's like, and they they kind of feel bad that they spent all that money in that time doing, <laughs> doing yeah, that. I'm, I'm, like, putting my hand up because I'm like, because we're literally opposite sides of the coin. Like, I was always, you know, after I gave my career in law, I was always just a bit like, okay, like, I can always make money when I want to, but I'm not going to focus on it. It just wasn't something that was, you know, in my orbit for a really long time. And I'm obviously very lucky now and successful in my business, but I did all of the things. And almost every time I get money, I'm just like, I want to travel. I want to see the world. My, my experience of having money is to use it to have life experiences. And yeah, I don't have a property. Actually, where I live is not something that's, it's not as a big a, of an obsession as it is in the UK. Like the average age of buying property is much, much higher, but it's almost like weird for my friends back in the UK to know that I'm like 34 and I don't own a property or it's not something that I'm like striving towards. So it's funny, isn't it? Because now I panic and I'm like, oh my God, I need to own a property. I don't have enough assets and I'm this age. And I, you know, I did all those things. Were they all even worth it? So it's so funny to see that we're literally like two different worlds. And I just hope it just shows to everybody that it's just all in your head. Like it's all in your mind because you can do both. You can do either, sorry, and, and feel something negative or feel something positive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, you know, I, this is actually a great time to be having this conversation as well, because I was reading an article earlier, which was about a study that's just been done where they like in the study, it looked at people across a period of seven years. And that what they were looking for was to see if more money makes you happier. So they followed a group of people to see if as their income increased, they got happier. And actually, what they found is that it wasn't the earning more money that determined whether someone was happier or not, but it was what happened relative to them. So it was actually about their comparative position and whether they felt like they were better off or not than other people around them in their social circle or their similar demographic. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. And that actually, yeah, basically comparison is one of the biggest determiners of whether we are happy where we are or not and I think it just kind of is goes back to that point that we actually often will 
look at where we're at, especially at this kind of age, and compare to what other people are doing. And like, we often don't see what we are doing ourselves and the things that we have done. We just see what we what the gaps are compared to other people and then mm. feel bad about them. So it's like, like we said, you know, I'm going through that feeling bad about the fact I've got friends who have lived in Australia for four years and I haven't done that. And oh, maybe I should have done that, but they will probably look at me and be like, oh, well, you know, you, you know, got a flat, like you've got a flat now. So I, I should have done that or I could have done that if I hadn't done this, it's, yeah. The comparison piece in relation to money at 30 is actually, I think, one of the biggest pieces like I think it's it's actually just that it's that you know in our teens and our 20s it doesn't really matter that much there's not such a discrepancy about what people earn let's say until around 26 27 I think yes there's not such a discrepancy most people are on the same path graduated at a similar time maybe a few years apart most people kind of going up the career ladder at the same time and then all of a sudden promotions start and people yeah. start going in different directions. And some people decide to keep on going travel and move country and like I did and start all over again. And then some people become partner and when they're 32 yeah. and it, you know, all of these things I've been hearing about a lot of my friends now back in the UK who are, you know, in the past few years have been made partner in law firms. And I'm like, what? Like, how, what's going on? But you know, obviously they've been working for 10 years, 10 plus yeah. years now. Um, and all of a sudden the thirties can bring up this huge comparison because not only are people doing different things, but they're also earning vastly different amounts of money. Yeah. And ultimately, like, you know, we live in a world where money is power a lot of the time and is, I guess, opportunity. And it doesn't have to always be the case, but I think that a lot of the time like, it comes up because it makes us feel like, you know, we have maybe missed opportunities or that we are not getting access to opportunities that others can now buy. And we forget about all of the other decisions that we've made for great reasons and for like reasons that are good for us. And we just see it as the number. We kind of forget what it has taken for somebody to get to that point yeah. and whether we would actually have wanted to do that, which I often have to come back to and be like, would you actually want to be doing that? Like, I don't think you would want to be doing that. But yeah, you're right. Like, I think that difference between, I guess, being like 24, 25, 26 and being 30 in what your group of friends earn is wild. Yeah, completely wild. And then let's throw into it. Let's go back to what we were, you were speaking about before, about the hen parties and the weddings and stuff. So then all of a sudden you group together a group of people who aren't earning the same amount of money. And then there becomes all of the internal politics of who's, you know, if you're paying on average 240 pounds and yeah. 10 of your friends are getting married in the same, you know, two year period. And of those, you've got to, you know, keep laying out for the wedding and then the new outfits and then the present and then the travel Let's that's not even talk about destination weddings right you can feel my like getting out of breath talking about it but yeah and then to understand as well that not everybody does earn the same amount and for some people that's a, a huge knock you know it really eats into their savings I mean I, I want to ask you the question and I don't even know if you'll have the answer because I don't have the answer of what you can do like how you can survive these years yeah i mean the honest answer is you have to prioritize and 
I think it's really like it's really shit like that's not what a lot of people want to hear you can't say yes to everything and make it work on a like average salary to be honest like never mind below average which a lot of people will be earning especially if you're in a city like a city if you're dealing with rent uh living costs having a life and all of the weddings and hens and stags on top it's like for most people it's not doable like you have to be earning an above average amount of money for that to make sense financially and especially if you've got like your own financial goals that you're working towards so if you're in a situation where you know you actually do really want to save money whether that's for a holiday whether that's for a car whether it's for a house whether it's to have some fun so you can quit your job like you have to prioritize and sometimes that will mean having to say no and it will mean that some of your friends will probably be shitty about it and like get upset but most of the time they'll get over it and actually most of the time if they are good friends they will understand that they don't want you to put yourself in a precarious financial situation just to go to a kind of over expensive weekend away and i think also keeping in mind like you for every person there are likely to be at least two things so like the the hen and the wedding for most people you being at the wedding is probably the most important thing and so if you cannot do the hen but you can do the wedding like make that point to them like be honest about it and again i know that it was really shit when you have to say i don't have the money like it makes you feel rubbish but it is the best thing that you can do long term for yourself and i think that more often than not people are surprised by how their friends will respect that and actually say thanks for being honest like no problem like i understand it's a lot of money it's a big ask you can't guarantee that everyone is going to respond like that like there are going to be some people who are bridezillas but i i mean i had it you know one of my close friends said to me she lives abroad and she said to me about my hen you know like i i will be at your wedding but i have got so many on like i just can't stretch like to come back for another weekend for the hen and i was like totally understand like thanks for telling me like i would I'm totally not worried about it. Like, don't worry about upsetting me. I think this is brilliant advice. And actually, I think that it's really important to think what happens when you don't do that. Okay. So if you then show up at somebody's hen party and you're feeling really, you know, you've gone into debt because of the hen party, or you're just feeling all those, you know, emotions of resentment, how are you going to show up as a friend? There's going to be some sort of bad feeling that as much as we try and hide it will come through. So I think it's brilliant advice to just be authentic. And again, go against that cultural thing where we say, oh, it's really uncomfortable to talk about money. I'll just make up something else. Actually, no, let's break this taboo and let's start speaking about it openly. It's really expensive for me to fly here for your hen or to come home for your wedding or whatever the, you know, the situation is. Um, right now with everything going on with me, I can't make it. And if that, like you said, that other person doesn't understand it, well, okay, there's nothing you can do. You have to release, release the attachment from their response. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there are often things that you can do instead. You know, I always say to people, if it's a case that you can't go for like a long weekend in the countryside or abroad or something, you know, say like, I'll we'll go out for lunch together, like the two of us and do something else that 
it's going to cost you a fraction of the amount of money and time as well because the other thing which we've not even got into here which is a whole other issue is the amount of leave that is used up on going on hens and weddings which is also valuable because it's back to money and like you have to earn and pay for your holiday to a degree but it really is about just being honest i think because also often you'll get there on a hen and you'll have spent all of this money that you maybe don't have and then the reality is it probably costs more once you're there like so don't dig yourself a hole like you will feel so much better if you step away from it and you focus on you know what can you do like which is showing up at the wedding if you can do that Mm -hmm. and like being present for them on that day yeah I think it's a it's a boundaries issue it's a boundary with your friend and a boundary with yourself and actually just as you were speaking I was thinking back you know I speak about this quite openly on my my uh content on my podcast that the age that I was 26, 27, in 12 months, 13 of my closest friends got married in the same year. So I had 13 weddings. And most of those were my female friends. A few of them were yeah. male, but most of them were female and most of them involved a hen party. Not all, but a lot of them. And I was just thinking when you were speaking, like, wow, I love that now in my 30s, I feel so much more able to do what we're talking about because I have that sense of confidence and just courage of uh, my conviction that it's okay. You know, this person isn't a true friend if they're going to, you know, not speak to me because, you know, whatever, I can't do this or do that. In my twenties, when I was 26, 27, going through this, I just wasn't even self-aware to even ask that question. It was just a done thing. It wasn't even an option for me. So I hope that there are maybe some people who are in their twenties listening to this and just know that it's okay. You can rock the boat, even if it feels really not nice or uncomfortable it's so much better than biting your tongue and not even just about the money, like the principle as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, the other thing I hope is that like, if there are people listening to this that are either going through the process of planning it for themselves, but also often if you're planning it for someone else as a bridesmaid, then like have a conversation with all of the people you're inviting to the hen about like what they can budget, like what is their budget? And yes, it might actually be that you have to adjust the expectations of the bride and that's not always an easy job but I think what it always boils down to to me is like what is the purpose of this event and actually the purpose surely is to spend time together with the people that are most important to you and so actually is it not more important that you have more of your close friends there whether it's like in a park or not than it is to go to somewhere really glamorous and exotic so you can get some good photos. Wow, yeah. And I I was following somebody that I know on Instagram and it was that much younger and they were doing a hen and it was like, wow, it's like got out of control because it's become this comparison thing. So people are just doing this crazy, 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 huge celebrations. And it's almost like because of COVID, because it's post-COVID now, things have to be even bigger, more extravagant than before. And I'd say that's one of the benefits of COVID was that (laughs) people just got the chance to like not have to do these things and they had excuses. We could still do, we could still do, I did a funny meme on Instagram where it's like, if you don't want to go to, I can't remember what what I said, the friend's baby shower, you can just do a, a positive test with like a red you know, positive COVID test. And I'm like, yeah, we can't, it's kind of running out that we could do that now, but it's, it's always an option. 
Yeah, no, it's true. And I think it is a, a bit of that attitude that like we have to take into it, you know. You know, there's always gonna be stuff that you don't feel like doing, but like when it comes down to like, is it gonna put you in a bad situation if you say yes? Like you've got to look after yourself. There is nothing wrong with that. We're really bad at self-care, I think, generally, particularly as women, I would say, but when it comes to like you say boundaries but also like our financial boundaries yeah. and and money we want to give everything to everybody else and make everyone else happy even if that then compromises our own positions yeah because of that connotation of what will they think you know maybe i'll come off as stingy maybe they'll think that i'm x y yeah. and z about money which is so not true but this is why this conversation is so important because we need to be speaking about it more so that people realize it's okay to have those financial boundaries. Well, I feel like I could just talk about this topic forever. <laughs> I didn't realize, I didn't expect it because I was like, oh, I'm a bit nervous to talk about money. And now I'm like, oh, Ellie, can we do a two-hour podcast? And yeah. <laughs> but I, do, I do want to end actually by asking you a question that we haven't got onto yet. It's kind of like a little bit of a different uh, question, but I know a lot of my listeners will be listening to this and thinking, okay, maybe because of all the put weddings and hen parties, or maybe not, that they struggle to save, you know, they're living in a city or they're just the take home isn't covering all their expenses. What advice would you give to somebody who really wants to start to take control of their finances and actually does want to start saving or investing or both? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is, and this, this might sound really obvious, but it's like, do you know what is going in and what is going out? And until you've got that nailed, everything else kind of is superfluous. Like the number one thing that most people that are struggling with saving or investing or kind of growing their wealth are missing is that clear picture of every month, like how much of your income are you spending? And also, do you have a plan for your money? When it comes in on payday, do you have a plan? Or is it just there and it's just there to be spent? Because if it doesn't have a plan, then you're going to make it really hard for yourself. And the way that I kind of always explain it or like describe this is thinking about like a journey. So if you want to get from where you are now to let's just pick, you know, Bristol as a city, I don't know how to get there so I'm not going to just get in a car and drive because I probably won't find my way I need a plan I need like a sat nav or at least some road signs to tell me how I'm going to get from where I am now to my destination where I want to be and money is like the same thing you cannot get to where you want to be if you do not have a plan and you don't set out for yourself a route and that route really is a budget and budget is a word that I've never liked, don't like. It just sounds so dull and boring. But all it really is, is telling you where your money's going. And the first thing, once you've got an idea of what is coming in and what is going out, is figuring out, okay, well, where do I need to actually spend money? So what is non-negotiable in this? And what is negotiable? And once you figure that out, basically, what have I got to play with what is that negotiable part? Then it's up to you to figure out where your priorities are. So, you know, you cannot save everything. Like that is unrealistic. It is unsustainable. This is back to the diet point that I was talking about. You know, you cannot live in this like state where you do not spend money at all just for the purposes of 
saving for very long. You can do it for maybe a couple of months, but without doubt, you will bounce back and go the other way. It's like if you go on like a really strict diet, without doubt, a couple of months in, you'll fall off the bandwagon and you'll go and eat everything inside and you'll be back to square one. And it's the same thing. So don't go to the extreme either way. Like you need to figure out, and this is again a bit of a like adjustment and trial and error, but you need to figure out what is a sustainable amount for you each month to be saving and how much does that then leave you to spend because that is all money and money management is really about is figuring out what that balance looks like but I think what a lot of people expect is that you find it and then you forget about it and that's it it's done but our lives don't look like that we go through seasons we go through phases and as you said you know we've been through a couple of years where actually we didn't have to spend much money at all we're now in a season or I'm in the season of life where I'm spending so much money all the time like I cannot stop spending money because everyone wants to do everything all the time so what you can spend and save is going to change and you have to accept I guess that there's a fluidity to it but if you set yourself like well a if you have that overall picture of what is coming in and what is going out you know what you have to spend on those basic like essentials and then you know what you're aiming for loosely from month to month in terms of this is going towards my future pot. This is what I'm going to try and spend this month and give myself as a like fun spending. If you have those ideas in your head, you can then play with them and make them work from month to month. But you've got to have those foundations in place. Yeah. And that's like the first step is to just... It's like the first step in coaching that I teach all my clients is to reflect. Like you can't build a house if you've not reflected on the, if you've not looked at the foundation and seen if the foundation's strong enough to build the house. So it's the same yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and with most things in money, that's what it comes back to because, you know, a lot of people might be listening and might be like, okay, well, I've tried saving, but every time I try and save, I like end up somehow dipping into it and spending it all. And Again, it goes back to foundations because if those foundations are wobbly, then obviously if you like build high on them, there'll be like one movement and it'll come crumbling down. And, you know, with money, again, it's it's a combination of like practical circumstances and also mindset. And yeah. your your relationship with money is I mean, again, it's that we could do an hour on that. We all have our own individual unique relationships with money and that dictates how we interact with it how we hold on to it how we spend it how we save it and one thing that I think a lot of people think is that you know like if you're bad with money and I'm doing inverted commas again because it is bad with money is like a kind of false thing but people think that oh I'm just bad with money like I'm never going to be able to to manage it well or to have more money and it's not true. Like learning to manage money, learning to handle your finances is like learning to ride a bike. Like you don't wake up and one day you can do it. Like you have to be taught and you have to practice and you won't get it right all the time. And I think that for some reason we expect just to be able to do it or not be able to do it. And there's not often this like willingness to, I guess, accept that we have to learn to do it. And we have to put in that effort. And it has to be conscious. It really, yeah. really does. And I think that's the thing that people just prefer to just turn a blind eye and just not not do it. And it's something that 
you know, I'm honestly working on at the moment is money mindset for myself. And also I work on it with clients as well, because I think it's really, really important to understand like the energetics behind money and, and what, you know, the limiting beliefs that you have often yeah. from your childhood. And I think that we genuinely could do a whole extra hour about about this topic so we probably shouldn't dive too deeply into it now but I think it's so important to understand that the practical steps are great but if you're doing it and you fear money you're scared of it you hate it or you I don't know all the different things that you can feel around money you don't feel worthy of it yeah and those practical steps like you said you know the house will blow over so for example you'll have a big savings pot and then something will happen and you'll be like I'm just going to invest it all into something that I don't know won't necessarily be good for the long run yeah exactly like it it's so there are so many layers to it and I think that it, it even like just the fact that I think a lot of people think that it is just about like numbers is a whole challenge in itself that like I think mm. you know you will come across and that I come across is like helping people to understand that how they behave with money is not just about what is in their bank account at all and that's like a very small part of it and you know, I always want to caveat all of this with the fact that, you know, there are huge systemic issues when it comes to money. So like just working on your relationship with money is not going to solve those. And it doesn't mean that it's going to suddenly be roses, but there is a lot of progress that you can make in having a go at fixing or at least addressing your relationship with money and how you approach it and deal with it. And I always think, you know, the aim when I'm talking to people, clients or whatever about money is to try and get to this place of almost neutrality with it. And I think that a lot of people are surprised by that because I think people often think that the aim with money is to like hold on to as much of it as possible or to like, yeah, to have more. And I don't actually believe that that is true. I don't think that that is a good relationship with money. I think it's this new, I actually think it's neutrality where you can let it come and go and it's not affecting your emotional state. Yeah, because money is neutral. The amount of money that you have in your bank account is neutral, whether you have £20 or £200,000, because how do we know it's neutral? And now I'm getting really into my coaching tool. (laughs) It's neutral because for some people, £20 is a lot of money. And it's like, oh my God, I'm plus £20 in my bank account. Like I've not seen that money, you know, I've been in debt for however many years, I've been in my overdraft. And for some people, £200,000 is like something they could only ever dream of having in their bank account. And for others, that's what they earn in a day. You know, I know coaches who earn $200,000 in a day or whatever. So yeah, like it is neutral. How do we know it's neutral? Because we all have different thoughts about it. So our perception of it is what creates the charge, the emotional charge. Oh, I feel like we could just talk forever, but we are coming up to a full hour. So thank you so, so much. It's been such an amazing conversation. For anybody listening who wants to go and follow you and learn more about what you do, and you know, I really recommend to everybody to check out Ellie's platform. I love it. And just like we were speaking about in the episode, it's like such an amazing, safe space to talk about money. So if you could just share where you hang out. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm normally on Instagram at This Girl Talks Money, but also you can find me on Twitter at Girl Talks Money. And my podcast is called Money Unfiltered, which is just a lot of cool conversations with interesting people about things like this and topics that people don't really talk about. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. And yeah, I could be here for hours. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm like, when we press uh, stop now, I'm like, okay, Ellie, when are we doing When are we doing the next one? When's the next live? But amazing. Thank you so, so much. I've really enjoyed it. And I will see everyone on the podcast next week. Mm-hmm.